All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You doing well? Hope everybody good. 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 It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, I wasn't here last Sunday. This is my first Sunday of 2023 with you guys. I remember. You guys ever find it's such a it's something I struggle with is when the year changes and you have to put dates on things. Does anybody else struggle with that? Like when you have to hit the like ah man, it wears me out. Like, I'm just so glad we don't write as many checks as we used to, because like back in the day, when you had change and you had to write checks, that was the worst, you know. But now it's filling out papers, you have to put the date. Um, but this is my first time with you in 2023. I was actually, last week I was with our student ministry group uh, at winter camp. We had an amazing time. Um, Clay taught some really great lessons there. Uh, we, we had a lot of fun. We played a bunch of just silly, crazy games. Uh, it was great, with a lot of growth, a lot of connection. Uh, we had an amazing time just out by the fire pit. We had some fun times just uh, doing worship together. I still have to say, if you're a student and you're not involved, man, you should get involved. It's, it's really great to just uh, have that time to break away from everything, to grow together. Um, it's, you make some of your just, some just really cool memories. Um, and I was thinking about that, you know, like that age, students in that age, when you're when you're in those teen years, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. There's a lot of things you, you know, have to decide on. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about in this series a little bit about the idea it's not too late. We're, like, we're going to talk about, you know, decisions and things. And, and I really want to, like, this idea you have to, va- it's, it's, you have to make a decision on what you value and what you give your time to. And that's, that's hard sometimes to figure out how you're going to do that. And I'll never forget probably one of the, the times that was... Uh, Man, toughest for me was my junior year. So I was a junior, and pretty much through my high school career, I'd just done one thing. I just played football. That's all I'd done my whole high school career. But I'd maybe gained a little bit of confidence as I'd gotten older, and I decided, you know, I'm going to do some things my senior year. And so at the end of the junior year, you try out for things you want to do the senior year. Everybody understands that, right? Everybody's with me, right? And so I decided I was going to try out for basketball, and I was going to try out for show choir. Those are two things I was going to try out for. So basketball was like a week-long tryout process. You go through, you know, you, you go up the next day and you go look at that sheet of paper and see who was cut or who's been invited back to the next tryout. And my name kept being there. I kept getting invited back. And I ended up uh, making the basketball team. And then show choir was you had to come and uh, do this little, like, dance piece. I know, me dancing. Let that get in your mind. Um, uh, just so you know, and just because this is some of you guys have been around here a while, I'll have you know that I danced one routine with one of Bobby Dale's uh, routines. So there you go. Um, that's my skill set. Uh, no, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> unless you want to come be my partner, and then we'll just rock it out. Uh, but in that, you had to do this, and then you had to sing like a song. It could be whatever song. You had to just go sing a solo in front of the choir director, and that was a tryouts for show choir. I went through that process. And I made show choir. Now, I don't think it was on the merit of my voice. I literally think that they like to have some strong guys who could pick people up and throw them around. And on that, I had those markers marked, so I made both. But uh, making both, uh, and I was playing football. There was a ton of money going into my um, recruitment stuff in football. Uh, Our family decided I needed to choose one of those. Like, I didn't have the time and resources to do both. So I had to choose which one am I going to do? Am I going to play basketball my senior year, or am I going to dance show choir? 
And so I chose basketball because I thought that was the cool thing to do is go be this basketball player. Um, now, the coach I made it under was Johnny Pelham, who's now being inducted into the Marshall County Hall of Fame, uh, Sports Hall of Fame, as long well as Coach, uh, um, oh gosh, <laughs> I just forgot his name, who was here forever, he was an elder, Harding, thank you, Coach Harding, <laughs> I said that first again, they're both being inducted at the same time, which is interesting, because he was a coach at Alberville for a long time as well, but that summer was when uh, Coach Pelham left, and so I got, I made the team on his team, and then another coach took over. So I didn't really get to play other than our summer camp, which was at Tennessee. Uh, I didn't get to play under Pelham except that, that one team camp. And then another coach came in, and the other coach just didn't really have a plan for me. Um, I think Coach Pelham had an idea of what I was going to do. What I was going to do is when somebody made a foul or were running their mouth, that he was going to call a timeout and then put me in. Uh, and then I was going to deal with that person on the other team. That was kind of Coach Pelham's plan for me. And this other coach didn't necessarily have a plan for me, and so I ended up not playing, and he kind of just fizzled out. He kept me some getting in shape for football, but nothing else. On the other end, dance line. I mean, not dance line. Gosh. <laughs> Sorry, not dance line. On the other end, <laughs> show choir. Show choir. They went on a cruise. All these hundreds of students with very few, few adult supervision got to take like a five-day cruise in the Bahamas and do their routine on a cruise ship. And so I gave up that to like never play basketball and practice and watch guys throw up on the sideline. That's what I gave up. But in the moment, I felt like it was the right decision. And, you know, we have to make all these decisions when we're young when we're students, but let's be honest, that doesn't really stop. I mean, even now, whatever age you are currently, there is moments and times where you're having to figure out what, what you want to do with your time. You're having to make decisions every day on how you value your time. Now, if I could go back, I could go back to my, you know, 70-year-old self, I'd be like, choose show choir, choose show choir, but I can't, Right? Now, in this series, we've said that we can start doing the things we didn't do, so I guess I could go join some kind of adult show choir right now, but that'd be a little creepy, all right? I'm going to lie. But when we have all these moments, these opportunities, we're, we're valuing what time looks like. And this, this is a word we've used a lot. This is the beginning of the year. I don't want to, like, say, hey, we've got to make some New Year resolutions type deal. It's kind of cliche. But what I try to do at the beginning of the year is I try to evaluate my priorities, I think it's a good thing when you get to the beginning of years to evaluate your priorities. And really, what you're doing when you evaluate priorities is you're deciding what you're giving the most value. And time is how we really value things. Like, we can talk about money worth, but really, the thing that we only have a certain set amount of that we give to something is time. Like, we, time is this, it's the most valuable thing we have. And so when we set priorities, we're giving time to something, that thing has become a priority to us now. And so what's interesting is when we, is if you've come to know Jesus, Jesus kind of gives us a really clear, like, statement. There's these, there's these statements in the Gospels that are these kind of big statement moments we get from Jesus. He gives us one that's really what the priority looks like for following Jesus. It says this, all right, you've probably heard this. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Those three things. Deny yourself, 
Take up your cross and follow me. And that's kind of what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. That's kind of what we begin to gauge priorities through. Is this something that's really following Jesus? Am I doing this? Is it a priority accordance to that statement? And all scriptures written after that, really, if we're trying to follow Jesus, people trying to tell us the best ways or give us insight on how we can follow Jesus in a way that is right. And there's a book this, uh, called the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews we're going to look at, and we're going to, I want to just look at kind of the very last of the book of Hebrews. I don't think we've ever taught, or I can't remember when we've taught out of this Hebrews chapter 13. I know I've never taught out of it. But I want to look at it, and it's very interesting because when you teach out of the book of Hebrews, most of the time we like to gravitate to two chapters, chapter number 11 and chapter number 12. Chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. It talks about all these people who were like really faithful to God, and it kind of says this is what they did, this is how they were faithful, and it tells about what their faith and what it looked like. It tells about how they prioritized God the right way in that moment. And then Hebrews chapter 12 kind of gives this instruction to us saying, hey, Shake off all the weight that's weighing you down. Let go of the distractions in your life and look at the race that God's called you to run and focus on Jesus. It's really a priority thing, right? Get rid of the things that are trying to take over your priority and focus on Jesus and then run that race that you're called to run. So really, the the mountaintop of Hebrews hits there. And then you have this chapter 13, and it's almost like chapter 13 is kind of just saying, hey, let me just again reiterate this If you're running your race, here's some things that it probably should look like. And so this morning, I want us to look at these things that probably our life should look like a little bit and maybe make some real practical uh, observations. And then I just want to give you guys a couple of thoughts I've had. Look, I just want to be honest. (laughs) I'm a very weird person. Any of you that knows me knows that. Like, there are some weird people here. Kevin Stewart's very weird. I'm weird. You know, I love gravitate to weird people. We're just weird folks. But, um, and so this, this new year, I've been really prioritizing some different things and been doing some things. And uh, I've learned a couple of things just through reading, through studying, and really through praying, and really some accountability. I've got a group of guys every Monday. We're meeting at night and just really holding each other accountable. Um, we're trying to be better. We're trying to prioritize the things that we need, know we need to prioritize in our life. And so some of this is just coming to the overflow of that that I want to share with you this morning. But let me pray for us before we kind of dive in. God, help us, uh, help us this morning as we look at your word in Hebrews, God, to see uh, what you're teaching us. God, to see the example that you paint for us, the picture that you want us to kind of follow after. God, allow us to um, allow our hearts to be shaped by it. God, we know that we, um, we know, God, that there's this... Uh, there's a life to be lived a certain way that we're supposed to give our value and our time to, to certain things, God. And I know it's a struggle. And so, God, uh, this, this morning, there's no judgment. There's no, like, we're not, there's no, we're not throwing out condemnation. We're not throwing out any shade on people, God. We're actually just trying to, God, just let us be helpful. Let us support each other. Let us learn. Let us walk away with some perspective and be able to make some different steps in our life. We love you. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Hebrews, if you want to turn there, chapter 13, that's where we're going to be, uh, verse 1, starting off verse 1. Very short verse, and it's kind of just the overall topic here as we go, and it says, let brotherly love continue, all right? This is just saying, hey, if you're running your race, if you're prioritizing things in life the right way, 
This is a kind of a blanket, like an overstatement. Like brotherly love, we should be loving people. Jesus tells us we should love others as he's loved us. Like we should be loving folks. There should be space in your life for brotherly love, okay? Now he's going to give, what's going to happen now is he's going to give some really detailed examples of that, all right? So in verse 2 he says this. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. All right, this is an interesting verse. This is one I heard quite a bit uh, growing up. I grew up in a small church. Uh, I started preaching in a small church, and we preached a little bit different than we preach here. We kind of like preach louder and more like yelling at you a little bit, which I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but this, this kind of scarred me a little bit. I ain't going to lie, all right, because if you're ever like, have you ever drove by somebody, like broke down the side of the road, and you're having to make a decision if you're going to stop and help that person? And really, it's a priority decision at that moment. You're like, okay, maybe, like, if, you're, if your wife was having a baby and you saw somebody on broke down the side of the road, getting to your wife having the baby is the priority at that moment, right? Like, nobody's mad at you about that, okay? If uh, you were a mother and you were taking your kid to the doctor and they were super sick and you see someone, like, your kid getting on the doctor is a priority. But let's be honest, sometimes it's just like, I got to get to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee. I don't have time for this or whatever. There's, it's priority. Like in the moment, we're deciding it's priority. But I remember the preaching that I used to hear. And I remember how this was preached to me. And I'm not going to, but it was something like this, something like, and I'm telling you that there may be angels unaware that you're going to be passing by. And it was this double finger. I'll never forget the double finger point. Don't let the angels be by themselves. And so I have, I don't know about y'all, but I have this weird thing that when I ride by somebody, it's like, oh gosh, please don't let that be an angel. Please, please don't be an angel. It's going to be, it's going to be really awkward in heaven if I get up there and that guy's an angel. Please don't let me. Like one day I was on the highway 59 and there was a lady out there standing out there and she was pregnant. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I've got to stop. She, she's pregnant or she's an angel. And I'm, I'm definitely not going by the pregnant angel. I don't even know how that happens, but I'm not driving past that. Like I'm not going to do that. But this is, you know, so do not neglect to show hospitality. And it's crazy in our, in our world because of our busyness, how much hospitality has kind of went out the window. Hospitality is this idea of being able to bring people in, love them, connect with them, have a longer conversation than maybe you wanted to initially have. But it's like we don't necessarily find enough time to have this in our current system. Like we're really task-oriented. I got to do this, do this, do this, do this, and move through it. And we don't find this time to, to show hospitality. And, and it's, it gives it leads into this bigger problem of why we're so busy. So it goes on. He says, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So the fact that it says the body is talking about the, the church here. So he's talking about there's people in the church who currently are, find themselves in prison or they're going through some hard times. Again, he's saying if we're living the right way, if we're valuing time correctly, there should be time for us to be able to remember those who are in prison, who are going through some hard things, all right? There's time that we should be able to connect with them, to be there for them, to feel their pain with them. Like there's some empathy should be taking place. We shouldn't just be like throwing that out of our mind. This is a way we should live. And then it goes to this next one, and I want to settle here for a second. I, I kind of spent more time here in the first gathering. I had somebody talk to me after, and they're like, man, you really should have you know, settled that last, that, that next verse. So I want to I kind of get this point because I think this might speak to us significantly uh, this morning. In verse 4 it says, 
let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So we kind of get this and let the marriage bed be undefiled, right? Don't be having affairs on your spouse. Um, but I want to look at this, let marriage be held in honor among all. This is a priority thing. We're talking about let marriage uh, be held in honor among all. And the truth is, is I know, if you're anything like me, like, we struggle with this priority thing when it comes to our marriage. We struggle with this priority thing when it comes to our family. And so this, this scripture, just in the middle, it says, man, if you're really living life like you're supposed to following Jesus, marriage will be held in honor among all. It's a big statement. It will be among everything else. You'll honor your marriage. Like among every other obligation or expectation or thing that people expect you to do or whatever's on your to-do list, none of that gets honored more than marriage gets honored. That's what this verse is saying. I had a, you know, it's, it's interesting when we're trying to figure out how to give our time to the things that matter and priority. And I, I had a, a guy tell me something in regards to this that was incredible. Uh, I have a friend of mine who I talk to weekly. He's actually part of this group, um, and he goes to a different church, but he's a great guy. I love talking to him, um, and he's just got some great insight. And we were talking, and he said he heard something on the podcast that kind of changed his perspective on things. And it was in this regard, because I don't know if you've ever had this happen, if you've had kids, but uh, for instance, my, old, my youngest daughter's 10, and for the last three months, she's had this same request of me. It's this. He's like, Dad, I'm going out the trampoline. Come watch. I have seen her do the same front handspring 17,000 times. And yet, she'll be like, hey, Dad, come watch this. Like, it's some new thing. Like, come watch this new thing, Dad. It's going to be great. I'm like, oh, let's go see it. Front handspring. Oh, awesome. Great, Harlow. Great job. And it comes really easy sometimes to be like, oh, baby, uh, let me finish my show. Let me finish this TV show. Then I'll come out there and see you, see you on the trampoline. Or, hey, you go on the trampoline by yourself right now. I'm going to try to get these dishes done. You know, I've got to get these dishes cleaned up. Before, you know, so go out there yourself. Because I know she's not going to go out there and do some triple back tuck, you know, spin, pipe, whatever thing. It's not happening. It's going to be a front handspring again. But this guy said, what if instead of saying like, hey, I don't have time for that right now, or I can't do that right now. He said he heard on this podcast, that what if instead of saying that, what if we said this? What you're asking me to do doesn't have the priority in my life that this thing I'm doing now does. It's not verbally. But we say it in our head. So then my daughter comes to me. And she says, Dad, you want to come watch me on the trampoline? And maybe I'm watching The Office, which is the greatest show in the world. I love The Office. Like, I want to. Part of me is like, yeah, I really want to, you know, watch this episode of The Office. And so I might say something like, oh, babe, I'll come see you later. But instead of saying, I'll come see you later, if I mentally go, what you're asking me to do right now, Harlow, to come watch you on trampoline, 
has less priority in my life than sitting here and watching this TV show. <laughs> mm. It changes my reaction. The words affect me. Let's say you're working and there's some project you're working late on. And your spouse calls and goes, hey, I really would love for you to come be home with us for dinner tonight. I've cooked the dinner for us. I'd love for you to come hang out. And you, look, you, you tell your husband or your wife, hey, I, I'd love to be there, but I'm going to be a little late. I've got to finish this, this project. I need to finish it up before I come home. We've said that a lot. That's easy to say. But if mentally can you say, this project has more priority to me than having dinner with my family. Will it change it? And if we even use the writer of Hebrews' language, would we say, this work project, I'm honoring it more than I'm honoring our marriage currently. And look, by the way, sometimes it is. Like if the project is like, you've got to finish this, you know, or like, if you don't finish this, the whole nation starts crumbling and we go into a new Cold War, then by all means, finish it, all right? If you're in the middle of like cardiac surgery on somebody and your, and your wife or husband texts you, finish the surgery. But how many times is it things that really could have waited to the next day? Could have waited the next week. But yet, for convenience sake, and for our own convenience, we make these decisions and try to, to push off the things that should be held in the most honor in our lives. I learned a long time ago with my wife that uh, it's all, and in a marriage, it's all about expectation. But if you had a real honest conversation with your spouse, your husband, your wife, after the church today, and you asked them this question, what's your expectation for me in our marriage as far as time as far as support, I wonder what you'd hear. The problem is, is that, you know, we have, sometimes we have such these high expectations, and then they drop, and then hopefully at some point they come back up and they level off and we figure it out. But we have a lot of marriages right now where the husband or the wife doesn't really expect their husband or their wife to be involved at all. They just are kind of surviving, living as roommates, raising some kids, trying to just make it through. There's not really much honor in it. It's almost like survival mode, like we're just trying to keep our head above water and breathe a little bit. Yeah, I'm keeping my business going. Yeah, I got my buddies and my hobby. And every now and then, like, I'll, you know, say hey to my wife or give her a text, you know, if she texts me and say, hey, I love you. But like honor, we lost it along the way. But yet, the writer of Hebrews says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Man. It should be this honoring thing. Prioritize. When you give something priority, you honor it. When something gains priority in your life, you honor it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is looking at, is telling us we should do. He goes on to say a few things. And the thing about setting priorities is like setting priorities, really, there's three things that greatly does, like, affect our ability to set priorities. One's our culture. Culture is going to help you try to set priorities. Like, you know, uh, like right now, probably, I don't know, 21% of us thinking about a hamburger from Whataburger, uh, if I just had to do a rough guesstimate. Because, oh, somebody's pointing over there, like, yeah, told you, you're thinking about Whataburger, yeah, right? Because it just opened and culture's talked about, Whataburger's here, oh, oh, it's great, Whataburger. Like, ah, 
my brother thinks Whataburger is the greatest thing in the world. Like, I've ate a Whataburger. It's a burger. I mean, you know, uh, but everybody is like talking about Whataburger here because culture says sex. So now, like, part, I don't know, maybe like at least some of us in here have already planned out when we're going to eat our first Whataburger, what day we're going, when we're going to drive through. Like, that's all became a priority already. Like, we've, culture has set that for us. Culture sets priorities. The other thing that sets priorities is pressure. Feeling this pressure, like we've got to get enough money or get enough stuff or have enough things or, you know, feel enough love. There's this pressure that gives us these priorities. So we feel the pressure pressuring us, and so that pressure makes us create the priorities that, that we want. But at the end of this, the writer of Hebrews really kind of dissolves some of that. I want to show you this. This way he says, says, keep your life free from love of money. And again, I think he's talking about this because of the culture and the pressure that we receive for our priorities. Like, culture's always telling you you've never got enough money. You need to spend more. You need to do more. You need to buy more. You need to get the next, you know, always the next upgrade. We're always upgrading everything we have. Get the newest model. I mean, I don't remember what, I don't, I don't remember what iPhone we're on now. What, 13, 14, 15? Who knows? But like, we got to get the next one. Got to update our systems. Like, it's, like, that's all that's saying. And you got to have money to do that. But it's telling you, don't, don't. You got to live your life free from the love of money. That can't be the thing that's helping you set your priorities. Because when that's setting your priorities, you're going to miss out on the things that matter. When, you're, when the thing that's setting your priorities is that you've got to have more, you know, more money so you can have more stuff, then you're going to miss out on things that matter in life. You're going to miss out. You're not going to have time to stop and help that person that's on the side of the road or, or help your neighbor and have a conversation that matters. You don't have any time for hospitality or hanging out with people. You don't have any time to do things you enjoy with your family. You don't have time to watch, you know, uh, front handsprings on a trampoline. Those won't happen because you're so driven for the love of money that you, your priorities get mixed up. It says, be content with what you have. I love this, right? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now we know, we know that Jesus gives us priorities. We talked about, he says, follow me, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, there's priorities. So the tension that we have to wrestle with, really, is the idea that when we're trying to live a life and get our priorities right, it needs to be in a way that we're setting priorities that reach the goals we want to have in life, but we're content with where we're at as well. So, for instance, you may have some priorities this year to to have a better spiritual life. We hope that's true. Uh, Maybe maybe you're going to start reading through the Bible for the first time the whole whole year, like a, a yearly Bible plan. That's great. When you do that and you read through it, don't throw away all the spiritual that God's done to you to this point. No, you're not where you want to be and need to be and perfect. You haven't, you're going to read the Bible this year to get better, get closer to God. But man, remember and be content in the story that you've existed so far that's got you here today. Some of you are going to do some, uh, this is every year, beginning of the year, somebody's going to do some health goals, right? Going to go to the gym. Going to, I'm, I'm doing a thing where I'm trying to walk every morning, right? So go to the gym, walk, get in shape, you know, whatever, lift. That's great. But also, there should be this contentment in the fact that, man, I am who God made me. You should not hate yourself. You should not be so discontent with who you are that you hate yourself, can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror. You are who God made you. You're this person that matters. So there's contentment and priorities, the tension that exists. Like, man, I'm thankful for God for where I'm at, what you've got me, and I'm still pushing forward to be who you want me to be. 
This is the tension that exists between this. We want to keep our life free from love and money, but we want to be content with what we have. And this is the reason is because it says this, this promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Through the whole thing, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, God walks with you every step of the way. So whatever these priorities are, God's going to walk with you through that process. And then it says, the last thing says this, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Now, these are the three, highlight the three things that really affect our priorities. I told you two of them. I didn't tell you the third one on purpose. All right, I told you that culture, culture affects uh, our priorities. This fear of missing out or fear of not having a Whataburger. Like, all right, I'm so afraid I'm not going to get a Whataburger. They're going to sell them all out. There's never going to be any more Whataburgers. Everybody's getting Whataburgers. Got to have a Whataburger. This fear, all right? Whataburger's not paying me for this sermon, all right? Just so you know. But this fear I got to have that new phone. I can't miss out on that. I got to have this new thing. I got to have that new truck. Whatever, whatever pushes us, the thing culture keeps pushing us. This do, that's this fear motivation. And then, what can man do to me? This whole idea that, like, asking the question, well, well, you know, that's culture, right? Uh, it's caused us to, to fear. But then, this idea of what can man do to me? Like, getting to the place where we're not trying to, the, the pressure of living up to the Joneses. Like there's this pressure like we, man, I got I to gotta be somebody. I got to accomplish something. I got to do something so everybody knows I'm somebody. And I have some name and I matter in this group. It's so just realizing that, no, it's not about what man can do to us. And it's not about the, the pressure that men put on us or women put on us or the people around us put on us. That's not what we live by. So we don't live in fear. We don't live in the pressure. But we live as the Lord is our helper. See, the last thing that really affects priorities is actually desire, which sounds like that could be trouble, right? It's like, let's go back to that scripture about, you know, the marriage bed, if we're talking about desire, right? But there's a scripture that's really amazing, a piece of, a piece of scripture that says, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us desires of our heart. And if you remember that very first piece of that, uh, what Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What happens when we really begin to walk with Jesus, when we begin to spend time with God, is that our desires begin to turn into the desires that God made for us. Our desires to come to, to do the things that make us closer to God. Our desires actually turn in to helping those strangers we see in need. For some reason, the people who are going through hard times that we never thought about before begins to affect our heart because we find ourselves closer to God. Our desires begin to become like the desires of God. And when that begins to take place, then the Bible says if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. Your desires, realizing that the Lord is our helper, He is the one that leads us, guides us, helps us accomplish our priorities, helps us do the things that we need to do. Realizing that, realizing that He's the one, He's the one that we're, our desires should be lined up with Him. When we begin to realize that, then our priorities begin to make sense we begin to realize how important it is to watch your daughter do a front handspring on a trampoline and for her to hear a voice one more time telling her, that's amazing, babe, you're incredible, to realize the power of those words. It makes us realize the importance of turning that computer off and going and sitting beside our spouse 
just simply holding hands and being together. The power of that. When the Lord begins to set our priorities instead of us setting our priorities, then amazing things can take place in our life. And will you do the things you love? Yes. Will you, does that mean that you're going to still play a sport? Perhaps. You may still go be one of the most amazing athletes out there or, or you know, artists or whatever you're doing. But the priority will not be because you're afraid of what it looks like if you don't do that or you're scared of what people are going to think about you if you're not great. It'll be because you know God's giving you that gift and you're living that gift out to the fullest of its ability. This is what it looks like when we begin to prioritize our life in a correct manner. The tension is there, but we begin to manage it. I've been reading this book that's um, telling me all this crazy stuff. That, <laughs> like I've been doing, uh, at the end of every shower in the morning now, I do 90 seconds of just an ice cold shower, all right? It's just a crazy thing, right? Um, it's amazing, by the way. I'm telling you, it's, just do the research on it. I'm not going to talk about that, but it's crazy. And it's like I like, in this moment, like, ah! like, I have this one part in my back that starts hurting, which I'm pretty sure is my heart going, what are you doing? Like, I don't know what I was going on, but, like, it's just amazing adrenaline rush as you're getting this cold shower, and you're fighting through it for 90 seconds, and, and like, you're just trying to, like, push through, and I, I don't know, it's, I, I told my wife the other day, I'm going to build us a cold tub outside now where I can just, like, can actually sit in this cold water, you know? Yeah, I told you I was weird. But this guy starts this whole book out with a principle that I thought was really, really interesting especially in light of this sermon series we've been doing. Because we've been talking about if we could go back and talk to our younger self, what we'd tell them. And it's never too late to start those things we'd tell them, right? This guy says that he really only talks to one person when he makes a decision on what gets his time. One person. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to say something really spiritual and say he only talks to God, and it's going to be great. Like, he's going to talk to God. But he's not what he says. Although I don't think, I think that's a good thing. You should talk to God about what you're doing. That's what he says. He says he talks to his 100-year-old self. That's who he talks to. He says, when I'm trying to decide what gets my time today, I just ask my 100-year-old self, like, what do you think I should do? Because I, I can tell you, when we get to the, the end of our life and we had the chance to watch one more episode of The Office, even if it was the final one where you cry your eyes out, or... Go watch my 10-year-old daughter do a front handspring. Front handspring wins every time. If you go ask your 100-year-old self, hey, you want to stay at the office a couple more hours, maybe even make a few more hundred dollars, or do you want to go home and have another meal with your family? Let me tell you, that meal with your family will win every single time. You want perspective? Figure out how to prioritize your life? Ask your 100-year-old self. Ask your 100-year-old self what they would do. Then you'll begin to find that perspective. It's a great tool. If I have to leave you with the bottom line this morning, it'd be this. Set priorities and set aside fear. Man, figure out what God wants you to do. Ask yourself, God, what does it look like for me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you? Figure that out. What's it like for 2023? Let's be looking at What's it like for 2023 for you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? What's it look like for January 
for you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. What's it look like for today for you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? Set those priorities, and then set aside the fear that would try to steal those things from you. You know, I guess we don't have to get up here and tell you what's most important. You know that. Everybody knows that your, your marriage and your kids, you know how valuable those things are. You know how valuable relationships are and how much those mean. But yet we all feel the pull and get tugged away from it all the time. So let's set our priorities and let's set aside that fear that tries to take us away from it. That's my prayer for us this year. My prayer is that we would uh, we continue to look at our 100-year-old self and we make decisions that that 100-year-old self would be really, really, really happy about. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the writer of Hebrews that, uh, that wrote this, God. And I, I pray that we would, in this new year, we would have um, the ability to set some priorities that are going to make a big impact in our life and in return make a big impact in the kingdom. And God, that may mean we have to sacrifice something that we think or that, you know, that we thought was important or that culture has told us we were important. We may have to make some hard decisions. We may have to change some rhythms. We may have to give up some time, give some time somewhere, God, but it will be worth it if we put in the hard work to do the things that you've called us to do. God, we want to live a life that honors you, that brings you glory, and that changes our community. And God, that's for our church, for us individually. Allow our church not just to settle in to being a church that has Sunday morning gatherings, worship every now and then. God, God, let us be a church that is constantly asking, what do you want us to do, God? Is there someone who had a church burnout? out? Let's give them money. God, is there people who need help? Let's figure out a way to help them. Let's don't, let's don't get so caught up in just doing church that we miss out on what it really means to love and to shape and to change our community, God. God, help us see things as you see them. God, you're the one that we need. God, we struggle, and there's times we, we struggle to do it right. But God, with your help, you, the Lord, are our helper. We can do more than we ever dreamed. Praise in Jesus' name.